Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message. Well, I got to tell you, first service when we sang that song, Magnify, it just totally undid me. That is such an incredibly powerful song, and I thought, man, I'm going to have that on repeat all week long. I just encourage you to do the same. It is such a powerful song, so thank you to Donnie and the team for bringing that today and just leading us into the presence of God. I just feel him this morning. He is so with you right now. No matter how you walked in these doors today, those of you listening online, no matter what you are going through, what you're feeling, God is with you right now, and you can just rest in that. So how is everybody this morning? Yay! So, you know, I lived in South Carolina for six years, and I'm a Buckeye, but we moved there for six years, and um, I woke up like, you know, when it started snowing yesterday, I was so happy, and I, I don't know, you all don't sound so happy, but it was so exciting to see it because it's just not anything I've got to experience all the time like that for a while. So just really glad to have you with us today. Those of you watching online, we're so glad you are with us and that you chose to tune in and worship with us today because I, I just all I can just keep thinking in my head right now is God is so good. God, you are so good. You are so good to us. And uh, we're in a series called Idol, Idols. And um, I don't know if you were here last Sunday or if you caught it, the message online. I would highly encourage you, if you didn't, to go back and listen to last Sunday's message on idolatry and on idols. It was the introduction, kind of the blanket message that gave you a lot of background and understanding into what this is all about. Pastor Ryan taught that last week, and I thought he just did a fantastic job, maybe the best I've ever heard idolatry explained. And so today we're going to go a little bit further. Uh, Over the next few weeks, we're going to look into some things, uh, areas of our life that could have a really natural inclination to become an idol in our life. And um, I just want to prep you with this. Some of it's good stuff. Idols aren't always horrible things, right? It can be really good stuff in our life, and so we'll keep that in mind as we go along. I remember um, when my girls were little, okay, so they are like long gone, and um, Wayne and I are empty nesters, but I was thinking about idols the other day, and I remember when they were, it's probably like junior high, and they wanted to get their very first mani-pedi, So for guys who are going, what is she talking? That is lingo for getting your nails done, okay? And so I took them to the nail salon to get that first mani-pedi. And um, when we got there, the girls noticed that in the nail salon, there were statues. And these statues were placed in different areas of the salon. One statue kind of looked like a little Buddha. And I think he had a banana in front of him. And then if you went over by, uh, I think it was the cash register, there was another one, and they had coins sprinkled all around this one. And then there was yet another one, and the girls were like, Mom, what is that? What are they doing with that? Is he going to, like, eat that banana? And I'm like, no, this is, um, these, are, these are idols. And I knew the lady that owned the salon. In fact, she became a very sweet friend of mine. We uh, had a lot of good talks together, and I said, this is a religion that she, this is her religion, and they worship 
idols. And so these idols that you see around the salon, uh, she's making offerings to the idols. And the offerings um, are for prosperity. She, uh, she prays to the gods that they would speak to her ancestors about things. I'm not quite sure. Um, and so anyway, kind of like good luck and prosperity and, and they... And, and just a, a good vibe, right, for the business. And so the girls found that fascinating because honestly, it was the first time outside of Sunday school stories that they'd ever heard of and seen in real time an idol and then explain to maybe what is an idol. They had only um, read in the Old Testament stories, you know, when Moses went up to the mountain and um, he took too long and the people of God who had this... Uh, pagan idolatry and worship in their background. He spent too long up talking to God. They got impatient. They got worried. Their needs weren't going to be met. They weren't going to have what they wanted. So they had uh, Aaron create the golden calf. You remember that story? He made a calf out of gold, and they bowed down and they worshiped this calf. They remembered that story. They'd heard about the Asherah poles in the Old Testament, and so, but they'd never in real time seen an idol and someone, you know, worshiping this idol. And so when we started working on the series, Idols, um, we get together, we do a lot of praying over this and asking the Holy Spirit, what would you have us speak on? What, are you, what do you want for your people? And I have to be honest with you that the first thing I thought of when we said Idols was that TV series, American Idol, right? Anybody, you know that one. It's a, it's a show where the vocalists, they, put all, they pit all these vocalists against each other, and in the end, at the end, they elevate one of the vocalists over all the other vocalists. That might have been what you thought of when you heard um, the title, Idols. Maybe you thought about the stories in the Old Testament, like our girls did, or maybe you thought of other religions, or you have friends or people. Um, maybe someone even listening today practices um, a different religion that worships idols. I would guess, though, that if I could speak for most of us, that when you think of idols, that you probably don't or you didn't uh, look in towards yourself. Maybe you didn't, um, because you think of it in a certain way, it didn't occur to you to look into your own life to see, do I have any idols? Is there any form of idolatry that's in my life? Because we just simply don't think of the things today as idols that we're going to share in the next few weeks. But an idol is simply anything or anyone that has been elevated to occupy God's place in your mind or in your life. Camp on that for just a second. Read that again. It's anything or anyone that's been elevated to occupy God's place. And when you look at idolatry through that lens, it kind of changes things, doesn't it? It makes you realize that almost anything could become an idol in your life. And then add into this equation that God created you and I to worship. It's how he wired us. It's like we have a DNA to worship. He created us to worship him. Isaiah 43, uh, uh, verse 21 tells us, this people, and he's talking to the people of God, it applies to you and I today, this people I have formed for myself, they 
shall shew forth my praise. I got to tell you, I picked that verse on purpose, that translation, because I like the word shew forth. I went around all day annoying people yesterday saying shew forth. Shew forth is to proclaim. If you shew forth something, you are magnifying it. You are uh, you are proclaiming it. You are worshiping. You are glorifying. And God is saying, and, and Isaiah is telling us, I made these people to worship me. And so we just have that in our bent. We have this natural inclination to always worship. Now, it was meant to worship God, and for some of us, we might say, hey, I don't have idols. I do not elevate anything higher than God. I do not pray to an inanimate object. I don't do anything like that. I love God. But because of sin and because of this DNA, this element of worship that was created within us, we will always have the temptation to worship or declare something or someone else higher than God. Because we've got to keep things in their proper place. And if we don't keep things in our life in their proper places, and it can be good things or bad things, God gave us a lot of these things. If we don't put them in their proper place, then it knocks God out of his rightful place. And a good thing can become a bad thing if it keeps you from the best thing. Think about that. A good thing can become a bad thing if it keeps you from the best thing. And the good thing that we're going to talk about today is work. Work. And work is a good thing. But work can become a bad thing when it becomes an idol in your life. When you start focusing on work more than you focus on Christ. And the best thing is worshiping Jesus Christ. America, we are a nation that's founded on hard work. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, when this country was founded, we worked hard. When you read the history lessons about how hard the people worked to found and to build and develop this country, it's amazing. We even have a national holiday in America. You know what it is? It's the first Monday of every September. It's called Labor Day. And Labor Day was dedicated, set aside. Post, postal services are closed. The banks are closed. Kids don't go to school. Some of you don't have to go to work. I always had to. But some of you didn't have to go to work on Labor Day. It was founded to celebrate and honor the American worker. Statistics tell us that the average American will work 90,000 hours in their lifetime. 90,000 hours of your life. One-third of your life will be spent on working. It'll be spent at your job. It'll be spent in, in some type of vocation. And for some of you, I bet um, you're like, one-third? It feels like I work, you know, two-thirds of my life, or I work all the time in my life. I think my average is going to be a lot higher than 90,000 hours. We've been taught that if you work hard, you will advance in your career. We've been taught that if you work hard, um, you'll provide well for your family. We've been taught that if you work hard, you should make more money. 
We've been taught that people really admire hard workers. We admire people with a strong work ethic. We've been taught that uh, about money and being admired and being able to provide for people. And so we correlate, we take all of that, we take all this working hard, and it equals, in the American dream, it equals success. That's how we get to the American dream. In the early years of our marriage, um, and I'm going to be really transparent in this sermon today, I kind of focused, uh, God just, I didn't focus, God showed me things in my life where work had definitely become an idol in our life. And I remember in the early years of our marriage, Wayne and I thought significance came from his career. I had decided to stay home and, and, and be with the kids, but Wayne was on that career path, Right? He got his degree in the area that he felt called to, and then he started getting really caught up in the business and in the career. We started out living paycheck to paycheck. And I remember that we would see people um, in the same company and in the same type of career that he was in, and they were making this much money, this much money, and they were having these promotions and these job titles. And I remember when we were driving around one night with the kids, just looking at houses, because one day we could live in one of these houses, and we set a number, if you can earn this much money, and if you get this promotion and this promotion and this job title in your career, then we will be able to hit this. And that was the American dream for us. And so <laughs> we were followers of Jesus, but we started um, weighing heavily in on all of that, and his work began to center on everything like that. And I have to, I I'm embarrassed to admit that we didn't stop and ask God, is this what you want for us? Every time a promotion would come, and we would, we would just say yes, because that meant we were one step closer to that dream, that American dream. And so we rarely said to God, well, is this what you want for us? If we go to this place, is there a, is there a mission for us? Is there something through his work, in his job? He wasn't going to quit his work, but we never asked God, what would you have us to do in his job? What would you, where would you have us to go? How could Wayne serve you in this new place? because it was all about this annual income goal and the significance that came with every promotion. And one day, one day, we reached that goal. We thought we had arrived. He had the position about as high in the company as you could go. He had the income with it, and that's the thing about the American dream. We work, and we strive, and we work, and we achieve, and we strive, and sometimes it just always feels like it's right out of our reach. Guess what happened when we got there? We decided we could go farther. There was still more. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Or sometimes when you reach the American dream, when you arrive at that destination, you find out that you've got all this, but now it just still feels empty. And you know that something's missing. And so I want us to look this morning about what the Bible says about work. What does the Bible say about, the, well, it doesn't say anything about the American dream, but what does it say about our inclination to want that and to work for that? Work was established from the very beginning of creation. 
If you look in Genesis chap, uh, book, the, um, chapters 1 and chapter 2, you will see work showed up on the scene. Genesis 2.15, well, let me, before that, God worked six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And God said what? My work is good. This is good. You see, work is good. Work can be very good. And God created Adam and Eve and put them to work. And then in Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of eating to what? To work it and to take care of it. Now, I want you to know something about this uh, word work. We'll leave this up here for a minute. This word work in this text, this word in the Hebrew language, the translation for the word work, is the word avadah. And the word avadah equals work and worship interchangeably. So whenever you see in certain scriptures where you see the word work, it means worship work. Worship, work, work, worship. It's interchangeable. You see, God always intended for you and I to work. That was part of the plan. He worked. And then he created us and we were to work. And it, but when we were working, the intention in the beginning, the, what God's heart wanted was that our work would also be worship. That in other words, what we do every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday would be very much like what we do today in this service, that we glorify him, that we worship him. He created us to work, but our, worship, our work is to be a reflection of him the whole time we're doing it. That's what we've lost a lot of times. As we work, as we create these goals, as we create these dreams, God's not calling us to that American dream. He's calling us to worship him and reflect him in our work. And so Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tells us that God did good work. God created people to do good work, and there was purpose behind it all. So if work is a good thing, then what's happened to it? How do we make uh, work into an idol? How has it become an idol for so many people? Why do we see work and jobs and what we do play so high in people's lives? We work on our vacation. We check our emails after we get home from work when we should be focused on family and be 100% present. We bring our work home with us. We've been taught that if we just keep grinding away and grinding away, that's how we get ahead. Or we think if we don't grind away, it also can be fear that if we don't constantly work and don't constantly stay ahead, that um, we're going to fail. So we, some of us, we work seven days a week. Most of us, we will fill our waking hours with work. Some people will work a job and then they'll add side hustles onto that. Work becomes an idol. This is a way that you can check yourself. Work can become an idol when the, it becomes the primary source of your satisfaction. Work has become an idol when you realize that is what primarily fulfills you. Work becomes an idol when your job performance is tied to your value and your self-worth. Your significance is based on a job title. You know that work may have become an idol if you lose your job 
and you feel lost. And it's perfectly normal to be upset if you lose a job. It's perfectly normal to feel all the feelings, but if you feel completely lost, you might have to check and see, did you have work as an idol in your life? Some folks will retire. I had a friend retire recently, and the wife was very concerned. She said he's had a job of significance in his life. I'm worried about now when he retires, will he have any purpose? So when we're not working or we're retired and we feel like we've lost our purpose in life, that might be a check that work may have been an idol in your life. You know that work is an idol if you invest more into your work, more of your heart, more of your time, more of your significance into your work than into your relationship with Christ. Work doesn't look like it was supposed to look like in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It doesn't look like it was supposed to look like because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Sin. We live in a fallen world. Adam and Eve took the work that God gave them in the garden to do, and then they used it for their own agenda. Adam and Eve thought what they were doing was good over what God said was best. They chose what they thought was good. And again, it comes back to that thing that a good thing can become a bad thing if it keeps you from the best thing. And that's what's happened ever since chapter 3 in Genesis. We've lived in a fallen world. Sin entered. You've got the S and the N, and what's the letter in the middle? I. We've become focused on ourselves, and work has never been the same. If you read in Genesis 11, there's a great example of how work becomes an idol in people's lives. The people uh, were building the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story? And they were working so hard to get that tower built, and they were working for the wrong reason. They were working to make a name for themselves. They weren't working to glorify God. They were working to bind themselves together so that they would be strong and not be scattered. And the motives, the reasons for which they were working to build this tower shows us that they had a desire for self-worth and identity and power and influence, which none of was built on God. And it's not unlike what drives a lot of us today in our jobs. Instead of seeing work as avidah, as a way to worship God, we're tempted to worship our work. I mean, think about the conversations that we have when we meet somebody new. We usually say, hey, hi, how are you? Um, so what do you do, right? The first question we ask a lot of people is we want to know, what do you do? We are likely, when we're introduced to someone, we tell them our name, and then we give them a job title. We follow up with what we do for a living. Now, if you're a pastor, I just want to share this side note. <laughs> if you're a pastor, we're not as quick to do that. If you're in the church and I meet you, I will often say, hi, I'm Pastor Cindy, or hi, I'm one of the pastors here at the Valley. We're not as quick to do that out in public, and you know why? People usually run away from us. So we kind of give them a little time to get to know us, and then if they ask, we, we share what we do. Now, it's perfect on an airplane, let me tell you that. If you don't want to talk to people on your flight, 
You just tell, tell them you're a pastor and you will have a quiet flight the rest of the way. You can sleep the whole flight. Because the first thing people do, think about it. For those of you who fly, the first thing people do when they sit down beside you, they always look over and say, so where are you headed to? And I usually look back and go, same place you are. We're on the same plane. <laughs> and then they're like, so what do you do for a living? Always, they want to know. And then I say, I'm a pastor, and I sleep the whole way. We live in a culture that makes a big deal about what we do, right? And that pushes us, okay? Because our society is so, has that so um, built into everything, it pushes us to find our identity then. A natural outcome of that is then we find our identity in what we do. One of the most insidious ways that work becomes an idol in our life is when work becomes an identity. I think that every kid in the world, think about when you were a kid, and grown-ups wanted to make conversation with you. They would look at you and they'd say, so what do you want to do when you grow up? Right? What do you want to be when you grow up? When you're in college or high school and you're graduating, that's the question, right? That's everybody's question. Now that you've graduated, what do you want to be when you grow up? We place such an emphasis on that. Turn to the person that's seated next to you. Let's just do this. Turn to the person that's seated next to you and tell them when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? If you're watching online, put in the comments, what did you want to be when you grew up, when people ask you that question? You see, we've gotten this all mixed up because our identity is not what we do. Our identity is who we are. I love what Tim Keller says about work and identity. He says, when you make work your identity, when you make what you do your identity, if you're successful, it destroys you because it goes to your head. Think about that. We feel very proud of what we've done. And there, there's some things that there is a, a, a healthy pride in, in what we accomplish and do. However, if you're not successful, it destroys you because it goes to your heart. And that destroys your self-worth. I did this. Um, I'll be vulnerable here. I'll share with you. I absolutely did this. There was a time in my life when my ministry... I was called into full-time vocational ministry. And years ago, there was a time in my life when my ministry became the idol in my life. But it's, it was the work that I did. And so many of you, as I share my story, it doesn't matter. You might not be a pastor, and ministry might not be your vocation. We are all to do ministry. But maybe um, it's not a full-time vocational call, but to be a pastor, but you could probably insert yourself into this story. I had so many come up to me after the first service and say, I connected to that. I have made work an idol in my life. My natural bent is to work hard. That's just how God wired me, and that's a good thing. I have, I'm inclined to give you 110%, but one day I realized that my successes had become tied and my failures had become tied to the ministry. 
If the church was doing well, then I was doing well. If the church was struggling, then I was not okay. I worked more hours than I slept. I brought my work home with me. I worked on my days off. I worked on vacation. I didn't take a Sabbath. I became exhausted, and, I, and, and no amount of sleep could fix it. And the more I became exhausted and the more that work became my identity, the less time I spent with Jesus. I'd go in early. I prided myself in being the first one in the, in the office, and I'd be the last one to leave. I'd try to squeeze in as many hours as I could on the weekend and bless my family. Conversation at home was always about work. There's a, there's a chance that if you're talking about work all the time and that's really all you're interested in talking and you don't have anything else to have a conversation about except your work and your job with your family, that's a really good indication that you might need to check and see if work is an idol in your life. It controlled my schedule. I remember there's something that I regret to this day, one of my biggest regrets with my mom. She had become very sick, and I got the call that they were taking her by squad to the hospital, and I was in the middle of a work project, something like what we did this last weekend. And I said, oh, no, I can't come. They need me here at work to do this. Because in my mind, if I didn't stay and do it, it wouldn't have happened without me, which is such a lie, right? And so I thought, you know, surely my family will understand this. I called every day to check on her. I said, you have to understand, I can't come. I've got to do this and yada, yada, yada. And I just, that's just what it looked like. And I, and I just moved on. I just kept strategizing. I kept working harder. I kept trying to fix things. I was adding new things. The ministry was growing. Good things were happening. It was probably um, doing the best that it had ever done. But the more I did that, I spent even less time with Jesus. And then I turned, I found out, I found myself comparing. I found myself being in more conflict with people. I found myself resenting other people that I worked with. If pastors weren't working as hard as I did, if they weren't as committed and dedicated to this job as I was, I would be resentful of that. And I continued to spend even less time with Jesus. It seemed like the harder I worked and the more that I worked, the worse that it got. You see, I was measuring my value. I was measuring my identity. It was all wrapped up in my work, and I could not see it. My worth was tied to the ministry. It had become an idol. But here's the thing about idols. When you need them the most, they're worthless. When you need them the most, they're worthless. I may have been a pastor, but I had elevated something in my life over the rightful place of Jesus in my life. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, let's turn to Ephesians. Because this is where I found the answer for me. This is where God spoke to me and he showed me the truth. It's found in Ephesians, and the Apostle Paul is the author, and he tells the believers that as followers of Christ, we are not to behave like this world, okay? He's saying to us, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. He's telling us that 
this, well, this is written to believers. This was written to the churches in Ephesus, but it's a circular letter. That means that it wasn't just written for a certain amount of people, and it doesn't really apply to anybody else. It was written to the people, and it applies to all of us today. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So the Apostle Paul is saying here, let's just camp here for a second. Let's look at this scripture. The Apostle Paul is saying that before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were spiritually dead. Now listen, you can't be in the middle, all right? You're either spiritually alive in Christ or you are not. You're spiritually dead. Before you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were spiritually dead. You might have been living the best life. You might have been at the top of your game. You could have been physically healthy, emotionally stable, all those good things, but that does not negate the fact that you were spiritually dead because you were without Christ. And it tells us that we were living in the passions of our flesh, Okay? We were living for ourselves. We were living for the things that made us feel good. We were finding our identity in the things of this world before we became gods. We were working on our own agenda. We were following and chasing after our own desires, and we fought, were following and chasing after the things of this world. And before, uh, when he says we're spiritually dead, it means that we are not a child of God and we're not in Christ. And then the number three says, or verse three says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, as I was reading that one, I thought, I love the, uh, the way the message um, shares this. And so keep this in front of you while I read you what the message says. You filled your lungs with unpolluted, un, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us felt like we were doing what we felt like when we felt like doing it. All of us were in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Verse 4, but because of his great love, and I love that but. Whenever you see that but, you just say to yourself, but God. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, mercy means we didn't get what we deserved, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, even though we were spiritually dead because of the sin in our lives, because he has so much mercy and love for us, we have been saved. This verse is telling us that God did an extreme makeover of a spiritually dead person. We were given a new identity. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And this is the verse that I hang, hang my life on in keeping Christ in the center of all that I do as I have moved forward over the years in my vocation, in my work, in my ministry. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. 
not by works, so no one can boast. This is a reminder to me that there's no job title, there's no amount of income, there's no work that I can do no matter how hard I work, no matter how hard I strive, no matter what I achieve, no matter how good I am, no matter that I do really good things, nothing that I do can save me. Nothing that I can do in my own human strength can move me from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive in Christ. We have salvation in Christ Jesus only because of what he did on the cross. Don't you love that? For you workaholics, <laughs> for people, for those of us who strive so hard to achieve, it is so good to know that there's nothing that I could do to change my identity in Christ, that I am his and I don't have to strive and I don't have to work for that that I have a new identity in him. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So now, even though we live in a fallen world, through the work of Christ on the cross, we've got a new identity. We've got a new identity. And that new identity was what he, what he um, wanted in the very first place for us. That our work, our worship, our avadah would be to glorify him. That the work and the worship wouldn't be to glorify what we want out of life or to move us forward, but that it would be all about him. So your work is a vehicle to glorify God in your workplace, if you're in school, as a student, your job, your work, it, yes, it's still, don't go home and say, I got a pass from Pastor Cindy, I don't have to work hard in school. <laughs> nope, that's not what this means. It means that in our home, if we, if we are home with our kids working, if we are in the workplace, wherever we are, whatever we do, we are to work for God's purposes. We are to, um, it just is so much more than providing a living for us. It was never meant to be our identity. It was never meant to measure the value of who we are. And so as Pastor Ryan shared with you last week, what do you do if you found that you have idols in your life? What do we do if I, I, I've, there's idolatry in my life? Well, he shared with us that the first thing we do before anything else, when the Holy Spirit has convicted us, if you're feeling nudged this morning, it could be a small nudge or a really big nudge that's knocking you off your seat. If, you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking that you need to pay attention to this, you might, be, um, you might be headed in the wrong direction, then the first thing that we do is repent. Repent. Because idolatry in any form there's not one that's worse than the other. Anything that you have eva uh, elevated higher than God is a sin. And Matthew tells us like all sin, we have to repent. Those years ago when work became my identity, when my self-worth was all wrapped up in my work, I had to repent. And then I had to ask God, um, I, I just said to him, God, would you forgive me? 
Would you forgive me for my avodah being misplaced? Forgive me for elevating my work over you. And then after, you know, God is so gracious and just to forgive us, isn't he? Ah, it's the most amazing relationship you will ever have in your life because nobody will ever treat you like Jesus. Nobody will ever be that good to you like Jesus. And he will just forgive you, and then you can refocus. And so then I had to refocus on how I thought, and I had to refocus that work for me was avodah. Work for me would be a worship of God in my work. I had to put it back in its rightful place, and I had to put God back in his right place. When my job's going badly, when your, job, your boss is being unfair to you, or if your work's going amazing and great and you love it, and when you're successful, it does not matter. Your identity is in Christ. You are a child of God, and that can never be altered by what you do. Okay? It can never be altered by a good day at work or a bad day at work. At the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. So this morning, I want you to do, I, I want to encourage you to do something for me. The Bible says that wherever, whatever we do, we're to do for God's glory. Whatever job that you have, God wants to use you in your work. He just wants you to have a shift in focus. I just want to encourage you tomorrow, or, or maybe you're going to go to work this afternoon. Maybe you're working second shift or third shift. I don't know, or you're getting up in the morning and go to work. But this is what I want to encourage you. After we repent, um, we refocus. And I want to encourage you to start your day with prayer. And you may say, Pastor Cindy, I start every day with prayer. That's good, but I have a specific prayer for you when you start your work day. Because God wants to work through you on Monday, just like he did today, just as we glorified him and we worshiped him today, he wants to do that for you every day. He wants you to do that every day. And I just encourage you to ask God, Lord, will you be the focus in my work today? I'm not quite sure what it looks like. I'm not conditioned to do this. I'm conditioned to hustle and grind and get in there and make it happen. But throughout the day, will you bring me back to you? And he'll do that for you. If you want to give him a little help, you can. You can set the alarms on your phone. I, have, I do that a lot. I will set the alarm for every so often and just says Jesus. And it just reminds me that this world wants to pull me away from him. But if I just stop and I focus on him, I meditate on Jesus, I praise him, I thank him, I ask him, what do you need from me today? I'm here at this job, it's fleeting, this all, none of this lasts, but I'm here today, I'm your servant, and you're my boss. What do you want me to do today at work? God will give you divine intersections, he will open up opportunities for you, and he will use you. So this morning, would you stand? We're going to close in prayer. And I just want you to bow your heads. And I want to read a scripture over you this morning. It's found in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And this week, as you go about your work, I am praying over you, I am praying for you that whatever you do, 
work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. You'll receive an inheritance from the Lord for doing this. You might not see it right now. You might not have the American dream. But God will bless you for this. He will bless your obedience. And the scripture tells us in verse 24 that it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that it never changes. I thank you that when Paul was speaking to the churches and Ephesus and, and all the followers and the, the Christians, Lord, that today that same word speaks to us and has authority in our life. And so, Lord, this morning I just ask that you would nudge us, convict us, Holy Spirit, show us what you'd have us do with this word today, Lord. I pray that you would give us the boldness to walk out of here this morning and the courage, if we have made anything an idol in our life, that we would have the courage to put you back in your rightful place. And show us, Lord, how you want to use us in our jobs and in all that we do and all, everywhere and all that we work at, Lord. God, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that we are children of the Most High God. I thank you that my identity is in you. You're the only one I need to please. You're the only one that I need to look for for my self-worth and who I am in Christ. And help me to be a reflection of you and all that I do. Let my work be avadah work, Lord. I pray your blessing on your people, Lord. I pray you'd watch over them, you'd protect them until we meet again in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, don't forget, if you are a guest with us today or if you've only been here a few times, head to the prayer room right here in the back of the sanctuary for starting point. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives.